Kane is in the building. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another 3P Podcast episode. This is our ninth season, eighth episode. Once again, I am your host, Josh Romowitz, and I am delighted to be joined by... Alex Castle. And TJ Hummel. Got another great show for you listeners. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Stevie. Nothing happened, he's just not, not here this week. We miss him. TJ was crying. We miss our little Stevie and his bad sports takes. I was pretty bummed at. But uh, he'll be back next week, I'm sure. And, yeah. It'll be uh, interesting that we have to make up for, like, a whole episode's worth of talking since Stevie's not here to, to carry that burden. But I think we'll uh, we'll manage and we'll make do. We got a pretty good show for you listeners. We got some football, some hockey, and hoops to talk about. Biggest news, like I said, we're starting off with some football. Is not really, it shouldn't really be news, but it is. It's more drama than anything. It's the Nicole Hardman situation. And for those of you who are unsure of what that was, uh, Nicole Hardman, a wide receiver, former, former New York Jets receiver, won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs this year, scored the game winning touchdown. He was on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and he revealed a bunch of things about his time with the Jets and saying that once Aaron Rodgers went down, they didn't adjust the game plan, which is pretty obvious to everyone, and it's that's not really the shocking news. But there's a lot of other things that went on, like uh, a Jets beat writer said that it was pretty much confirmed that he leaked the game plan to the Eagles and the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, that was, I believe, week four of the season when Nicole Hardman was still on the team. And then the Eagles was right before the trade deadline when Nicole Hardman was traded a couple days after that. A bunch of Jet jet players are chiming in the situation saying that, uh, that yeah, this is true and his comments were out of pocket. So my question for you, Castle, is if this is legit or not, whatever, could the league step in and do something about it? Because if this is legit and what McCall Hardman did and somehow leaked the Jets game plan or... Oh, I forgot the other part. Um, <laughs> he also... Uh, on that podcast, had said that he want he's he's been talking to Pat Mahomes and the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs, Brett Veach. So going back to you, Castle, would that be considered tampering? So I'll let you jump in and kind of uh, elaborate on this situation some more. First of all, any player that gives the Eagles 
and advantage should be shipped to China. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's honestly disappointing that this all came out because he had the game-winning catch in the Super Bowl. But not only that, he seemed like a fun personality on Hard Knocks. And I know you were excited about the move. It was a one-year, $8 million move. He's like a not I wouldn't say a gadget guy per se, but you can really do a lot with him on the offense. And I'm sure most of this was in part to once Rodgers went down that his play just faded. But to leak the game plan to an opposing team, I mean, that's just pathetic, immature. I mean, you're you're getting paid to be a professional athlete. If you're not happy with your situation, that's one thing. I mean, you want to rant to the media about it. You want to be cryptic on Twitter. But to leak it to, to the Eagles, because I'm going to break down both scenarios. To leak it to the Eagles, that's just pathetic. Um, joke's on him, though, because you guys ended up winning anyways. So he must have leaked them an old playbook. So he might not be the brightest guy, which is a plus for the Jets. So um, I don't know how much the league will investigate that. Now, leaking it to the Chiefs, that's where I think you have a lot of case, a lot of evidence for tampering. You're leaking it to his former team. He ends up going there. What was it, the trade deadline or close yeah, to Yeah, so like four or five weeks later. So he ends up getting traded there. We know this relationship he has with Mahomes. Won multiple Super Bowls. I mean... Why he would leak it to begin with, I don't know. But if I'm the league, combining the talks that he had with Mahomes and the GM, and now you're speculating that he's leaking it to them while he's with the Jets, I definitely think the league should look into it. Now, my guess is, at the end of the day, if anything, the Chiefs will get penalized for tampering. I unfortunately don't think the leaking of the playbooks will turn out to be anything, but I think you do have enough to investigate him and penalize him individually as well as the chiefs. It, it, it's just really just like pathetic. And it's really, it's really disappointing because he was also in the celebrity all-star game too. This guy was, his stock was very high. And then, and then the story just hits. So definitely feel the frustration um, for Jets fans. And as an outside outside of that supporting that team and just a football fan i do hope that there's an investigation that comes out of this one way or another yeah like you had said i was very excited when the jets got him he was a gadget guy a third receiver whatever but it seems like kind of lost his role right away from punt return and being that gadget guy quickly because xavier gibson who was also a hard knock star undrafted rookie free agent won uh the the battle in camp as we saw fun guy to root for obviously the week one walk-off hero against the bills and he kind of took all his reps and then mccall hardman kind of lost his role and was he was he upset about that i'm sure but it's unprofessional to say the least so dj i want to turn to you what do you think if any, uh, like what punishment should the league hand down to him, the Chiefs, uh, that would fit this type of misbehavior 
Um, I, something like this, I don't think has happened in the NFL, at least to this extent. So a proper punishment, I'm not too sure what that would entail, but my gut instinct would be, it'd be a hefty fine. Maybe depending on the severity, lose a draft pick. Um, that's at least as an organization standpoint on the Chiefs. McCall Hardman, now, if you're leaking playbooks to your opponents because you're mad that your your role got decreased, I feel like that's an that's suspension worthy. At least like give it like the the what's the league um discipline for the performance enhancing drugs? Is it four games, five games? I think it's like three or four games. Five maybe. So yeah, I'd say I'd say treat it treat it as that because you're still you're cheating. You're cheating the game of football. It's 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 not the severity of like say Calvin Ridley betting on his team to win. This is gonna make that point. It's it's still pretty severe. You're you're giving the other team intel, essentially. Now I I think for, for McCall Hardman, it's a really bad look on him as a player and as a person. And it's kind of a bad look on the Chiefs letting it happen. If I had a player come to me, hey, coach, I just got this week's playbook from a former player who we just so happen to be best buddies off the field with. Hey, let's let's not say a word and just keep cheating. That's that's at least how I look at it. It's it's an unfair advantage. It'd be like taking PEDs. I think I think at like a three, four, five game suspension and a hefty fine should should suffice in, in this situation. Now what the extent of the punishment is gonna be, I don't know. But Goodell has to set set the set, set the tone and set the standard for how this stuff isn't gonna fly in professional football. So it's interesting. Goodell as of lately, the last year or two or so, has definitely put the hammer down when it comes to um, suspensions and these type and penalties involving the gambling, like you said. So the Calvin Ridley was the first example, and that was a year suspension, and that was it. Like it seemed like that came out of nowhere. Um, but then there was a a list of other players last season. Out of nowhere, it seemed like the Colts, and I forgot who the other team was. I think it, the Lions, because Jameson Williams was one of them. The Colts players specifically, and some of the Lions, were suspended four games for betting on any sports just while in the team facility. So if they got four games for that, don't you think McCall Hardman should get more because this is more of egregious act than sports betting on a different sport that has, that you have no connection to. So if that's the case, then I think you should be looking at like an eight ish game suspension and something to keep in mind. Cause I want to move on and we'll talk other things. McCole Hardman is a free agent this year. So that's definitely something that we'll have to monitor going forward because 
if we're being honest, I think there's only one team who's really going to be looking at him, and that's the Chiefs. I don't see how any other team is going to want to take a flyer on him. The Giants, for example, they need receivers. Maybe before all of this, they would contact McCole Hardman because he could fit, fill some needs. Oh, wow. We can talk about this. This is some pretty big news. Per Adam Schefter, uh, the, the Vikings are cutting Alexander Madison. He was really their only running back last year and the guy who they cut Dalvin Cook for. So that's a little uh, fun fact. Man, Big Blue is going to be in search of a quarterback. <sighs> Not a quarterback, running back. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into that. Uh, with what he did for fantasy last year, <laughs> he must be happy it caught his ass. Yeah, he was not good for fantasy. Um, but yeah, no, wrapping up the little McCole Hardman thing, we'll definitely want to keep uh, monitoring that because, like TJ had said, this is something that we really have not seen before. Sure, we've seen steroids in other sports, and we've, like we said, the last couple of years we've seen sports betting and how that's risen, but this is something else this is giving out the game whether it's true or not it that still remains to be determined but the fact that this was alleged giving out the game plan on top of him uh when he was on the jets calling pat mahomes and calling the gm saying come get me like he said on that podcast it'll all be interesting to monitor because i i think if the league wants to make a good example then we are in for a hefty little fine and suspension. So you also got to wonder just one more point. If he was out there publicly stating his communication with the chiefs on this podcast, you got to wonder how the chiefs view him. Yes. They are the front runner to resign him, but got to wonder if that's making some rifts in that relationship as well. Exactly. Good point. Castle. Um, yeah, so TJ, you had started to talk about uh, Saquon or the Giants needing a, a running back, and that's because they did not tag Saquon Barkley for, or at least attempt to, for the second year in a row. Or is it three years? Did they tag him the year before and then they tried to last year? I don't remember. I thought he was under contract. So, so I guess last year, so the year before they didn't work out an extension and he was under contract last year, they tag, they tag, they tried to tag tag him. They tagged him and he didn't want to sign because he he held out and then they worked out that extent that one year extension. extension. Yep. Okay. So this year, once again, there's no there was no tag, so now he's a he's a free agent. It's the open market. He's been saying he wants to resign with the Giants. He wants to retire a giant. The fans, I'm sure, would love to see 26 back, but from the from the way you guys have been talking about it, you've been expecting this day to come, sadly. March 13th. March 13th, 4 o'clock. It's a Wednesday. That's when free agency begins. Saquon Barkley, like many others, hits the open market. He'll be able to negotiate with other teams. So Castle or TJ, you both are Giant fans. This is your little uh, 
vent session, get it all out there. And do you see any chance that Saquon Barkley will be back in a New York Giant uniform? I don't. I don't. I think there's going to be a team out there that is either going to overpay him or have the cap to pay him what he's looking for. I do think he sincerely wants to be a giant for life, but the giants just have so many holes that they need to fill. And I, you know, even Joe Shane said that the running back market is a little saturated. So I think he's just the type of GM that is really of the mindset of this is a position while he is very valuable, he has his issues with injury. Now that we're looking at possibly needing to figure out our quarterback situation, we need to fill some holes on defense. I just don't think he he's a priority anymore. And and I hate to say it because, and you know what? I I, I didn't have this view originally. I didn't because I went with what was put out there. And and I'm not and I never fully agreed with the contract. But looking back on it, they really should have either tagged Jones or, or let him walk. I mean, looking back on it now, even though Barkley does not have the longevity that a quarterback would, he still brings more value to the offense than Daniel Jones does. He gives these backup quarterbacks relief and he puts to a target on himself in a good way that that allows defense to put more pressure on him so I think that kind of just screwed things up to where they are now but like I said there's going to be teams out there that are running back hungry that are going to give him the money that he's looking for the only way that I see him coming back is if he tests the market and the offers that he's getting are close to what the Giants are giving then he'll come back but if any team gives him more than what the Giants are, see ya. That's it. it. And I'm going to let TJ hop in because he's also a Giant fan. But it is interesting because we saw last year and, we were, and all the talk was about the running back market and how running backs are should hold out and this and that. But now we're kind of at this next phase of things because so many guys last year either rejected their tag or – accepted the tag and it's a lot less than they are expecting which if you're a giant fan that's sort of a silver lining because you got guys like Saquon Barkley in the open market you got Derrick Henry in the open market Joe, uh, Joe Mixon in the open market Josh Jacobs I don't I don't think he got taxed so I think he's hitting the open market but he's expected to, he's the only big name that's expected to resign with the current with his current team uh, yeah. I, I don't know what the deal is with uh, Tony Pollard there's a lot of rumblings out of uh, Dallas. So there's a lot of big names hitting the open market. But like we saw last year, there was a lot of big names that also were not happy in their situation. Saquon Barkley is kind of like that outlier, in, in my opinion, because he's openly said that he wants to re-sign with the Giants, which if that's the case. That kind of hurts his... Uh, his value, maybe 
the Giants will capitalize on that because this is someone that the fans, the community, this and that, they value him. But I'm going to let TJ jump in because I'm sure he wants to dive more into that last part that you made, Castle, about looking back on last year. I mean, yeah, like looking back on last year, Saquon was kind of the, not the scapegoat, but in a way he was a scapegoat for kind of the struggles that were going on because uh, Tyrod and DeVito could feed it to him and they know that he would produce something with it. Now, I kind of want to hint more on the point of he wants to stay a giant. And, like, I I understand that. Like, once a giant, always a giant. But at the end of the day, thinking about how last season went and just how far the Giants really are from being serious contenders, if he wants to win championships, it's not going to be with Big Blue anytime soon. As much as it pains me to say, the Giants really aren't in a cap spot to really go out and make a huge splash in free agency. Plus, they have to sign guys like Xavier McKinney. He's a big free agent for them this year that they need to make a priority of signing back. Now, as as much as I would love Saquon back, especially another year with uh, healthy Daniel Jones and hopefully another year of him learning the offense that Daves and Kafka want to run, maybe this year will be different. But it's really hard to say at this point if this season's going to be really any different than last. We hope so. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful it's going to be better than last year. But at the rate it's going, we just went through a slew of coach, coach firings and hirings. Um... Not too sure if Kafka and Daves are still on the same page. There's a lot to go on with that. Holes that need to be filled, important guys that need to be signed back. I just don't see Saquon Barkley coming back this season. Maybe a couple years down the road, and if stuff is better and he's not happy if he decides to go elsewhere, I'd welcome a reunion, get him back on like a one, two-year deal. He'll retire a giant. Everything's all well and good in Saquon and and fans' eyes. I I think most, if not all, Giants fans just need to realize that as much as keeping Saquon would be cool and would be fun, the best idea for the two parties being Saquon and the Giants, let the divorce happen. It it's it's gonna be painful. It's gonna suck, but. At least where the Giants are at, at least that I see, there's way too many holes to to fill and a very small cap space to do it. It's one of those, I'd love to see you, hate seeing you go, love watching you leave type situations, because I just, I hope for the best for Saquon. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish with Big Blue, at least for the next couple seasons so i don't want to ask the follow-up of giving predictions we'll save that for another show i can tell you both are uh, hurting a little too much talking about saquon so we'll uh houston is my prediction like i said we'll save it for another <laughs> I, i'll say one more thing about 
Barkley before we move on to some other um, names. Apparently, and this is from uh, a reliable football source, the Giants and Saquon's representatives had a good initial meeting on Wednesday at the scouting combine. The team remains open to multiple options, including memorializing Barkley's potential legacy as a giant pending an agreement on mutual terms. So, you know, that's one of those things where, sure, we're going to open negotiations, but that's also how it went last year. So that that's how I'll end it on that. It, it started good last year and then shit hit the fans. So. Like I said, we'll monitor this March 13th, the Wednesday, 3 PM, I believe 4 PM. Wednesday, March 13th, that's when NFL free agency officially begins. Teams will legally be able to uh, meet with these players and negotiate deals. So I'm sure there'll be more reports of uh, of tampering, so not just the Chiefs. So we'll definitely make sure we talk about that. But shifting gears to a much colder sport. Actually, yeah, we'll go with a much colder sport. <laughs> um. TJ's specialty. We got some hockey to talk about again. Talked some last week. The Rangers, again, are rolling. Their 10-game winning streak got snapped over the weekend, but they're on another one as they uh, beat Columbus on Wednesday. But TJ, we got to get that update on how are your Boston Bruins doing. Well, Right now, they're playing against the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and have just jumped out to a 2-0 lead with two goals scored in 30 seconds. Um, Up until this current point, they have lost, I believe, six or seven straight in either overtime or the shootout. So, like, yeah, it's still a point, but... Watching these games, they've given up the tying or go-ahead goal in the final five minutes of play, have to come back, tie the game, go to a shootout, or it's they have the lead, give up a tying goal, shootout, overtime, so on and so forth. They now have more overtime losses than regulation losses. It's not something that I'm happy with. It's not something that I know... The Bruins aren't happy with and it's just we're on a we're on a streaky stretch where it's they'll play a few they'll play some good games but fall short or play like crap come back and then still fall short in overtime shoot out so on and so forth the trade deadline's coming up and I don't know if you've seen Josh but I've seen rumblings that at least with the way the Bruins have been playing. It's not their goaltending that's the issue. It's their forwards and their deep and their deep pairings. I've seen rumblings of Linus Allmark maybe finding a new home out of Boston. And now that's gonna suck. Cause Allmark and Swayman are arguably one of the best, if not the best goalie tandems. In the NHL, I know at least this year the Rangers are challenging them 
with Quick and, and Shesterkin. They've been quite the battery as of as of late this year. Um oh look at that, it's three nothing now. Um as much as I it would hurt to see Allmark go, he did win the Vezina last year. And with his stats this year, they're not not at they're not at the rate of what they were last year, but they're still tops of the league. And they could fetch themselves a nice package in return, whether it be some prospects, draft picks, veteran established players. I'm not too sure. But I just know that my guys need to make some moves and learn or remember how to close out hockey games when they have a lead, whether it be two, one, three goals, whatever. The final five minutes have been hell the last better half of three weeks because you really just don't know if they're going to give up the go-ahead or give up the go-ahead or tying goal. It's just been one of those types of stretches. I hope they can turn it around. I'm excited and anxious to see what they do at the trade deadline. All I know is we just got to buckle up and enjoy the ride. I just quick question for you, TJ. I know there's still a good amount of hockey left, but you know, with my limited knowledge, um, this kind of just popped in my head. So I'm just curious to see what you think. Do you think this with, with the overtime losses and the, issues towards the end of the hockey games not being able to finish do you think this is all a result of some sort of hangover from how that series with the Panthers ended last year um very quickly I'm going to say no because in the first two months of the season the Bruins had single digit regulation losses and maybe two or three overtime losses. I think it's more so they're they're now feeling the feeling the effects of, of losing guys like Bergeron, Krejci, Bertuzzi, Orlov, Hathaway, all guys that either retired or didn't get signed back at the end of last season. It's just it's just one of those they're they're facing their backs are against the wall at this point they're they're facing some adversity it's not something that i'm pressing the panic button on just yet i'd have to see how up until the trade deadline goes and how the first handful three four games post trade deadline go right now we're we're sitting pretty fourth in the in the league overall I'm happy with that. I'm I'm content. I just need need them to to start finishing games. You can tell they're fatigued, they're tired. It's that point in the season for all teams. You just have to find a way to get past it. Yeah, in baseball, this is like the dog days uh, of summertime. Yeah, you just got to dig deep at this point. It's there's less than 20 games left. Yeah, especially just so weird why the trade deadline is so late. It's after the All-Star break, I get that, but NBA, who's behind NHL, had their trade deadline now like three or four weeks ago, it seems like. But is that any new for hockey? 
that kind of seemed that really that's got to be the latest in all the major sports. It is. But yeah, how it's been for as long as I can remember, it's always like almost a month after the all-star break is when the trade deadline hits. And that's, it's gotta be the longest up until deadline in all in the four major sports. But um, you brought up something that kind of sparked a, a thought of mine. Um, I didn't really think of, uh, I didn't really think of, of it much, the Bruins trading Olmark until you said it. Um, but with the way Swayman has been performing this year, he's been impressive. Not, not as much two years ago. Last year, he started to pick it up. He was young a couple of years ago, but it, it kind of took him a while for him to find his footing as a NHL goalie. And now he looks like he's a top 10 goalie in the league. Yes, Olmark is still the guy over him. But like you had said, his numbers are down compared to his Vezina year. But so were Igor Shosturkin. That, it, like, give or take. But I know me and you have had this conversation before. The Bruins, in terms of development and their and their minor league system, is not the best. And they don't have the best draft reputation. So maybe acquiring more assets, not necessarily draft picks, but some stud prospects could really go a long way because the Bruins have a lot of elder uh, aging guys uh, like Bergeron. Or is Ber- Bergeron's retired, so it's Marshan. I get yeah. those two. Con- I get those two Mar- Mar- confused. Marshy's, I think, the oldest on the team right now. Yeah. I, I got Marshan and Bergeron confused. I don't like either of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So what are your thoughts? Like acquiring a hefty package, including some stud near NHL ready guys who are still young. I'd probably go a long way to improving their minor league depth. I mean, I'd I'd be all for it. Like you, you know, you know my stance when it comes to the Yankees. Like I'm all about keeping the prospects or acquiring said prospects who will be absolute studs given the right uh, mentorship, training, so on and so forth. Right now, I th- the prov the Providence Bruins, I believe, last I checked, are one of the top teams in the AHL. Now, I, their their farm system is full of guys that are 18, 19 years old, but a majority of them are 20, 23, 24, 25, even 28. Like, there's some, like, career AHL guys down there who could make a difference in the NHL. Like, the Bruins have done it. They've done it this year. They've kept guys down in the AHL who were – producing at the NHL level sent them back down for their vets that came back and their vets are nowhere near the the capacity and play level that the young guys were at there's there's two that I or three that I can name right now there's uh Georgie Merkulov, Fabian Lysel, four actually Mason Lowry and John Beecher 
down in the down in Providence who are absolutely lighting it up. Why they haven't been called up, I don't know. And like you kind of hinted at the the prospects and draft uh, capital and and drafting as a whole being kind of iffy. It's been brutal the last five six years post Peter Shirelli and then uh, Don Sweeney coming in. Like they've been some absolute head scratching moves. Guys who don't even make it to the AHL have been drafted very high by the Bruins, second, third, fourth round. I don't know if it's something they have to look at, whether it's where the team's at, where management and the higher-ups are at. Change needs to come. I know this year they made they made moves in the off like off season to help fill the void of Krejci and Bergeron and uh Bertuzzi leaving uh Hathaway. They brought in guys that are actually producing. They've they've played very well. It's more so you're not getting the young enough guys who will be beneficial long term. They're making short term short term fixes that won't bring them to where they ultimately want to be and that's Stanley Cup champions. It's like trying to put a bandit on a bullet hole. It's going to stop the bleeding for a short time until you need to keep replace it again and again and again. It's wash, rinse, repeat. It's been like that the last five seasons now for the Bruins. It's been painful to watch every second of it getting let down in the playoffs. The Stanley Cup final, it, it's it's it sucks. And it just goes back to it goes back to my original point when I first started talking about the Bruins. It's they need to finish. It's been something that's a prop been a problem in the playoffs. It's now a problem in the regular season at this current moment in time. I there's something has to change. Some I know it's not the coaching. Jim Montgomery did a hell of a job last year and set a bunch of records that really kind of don't mean anything with the playoffs ending the way they did, but it's still history and records nonetheless. Something's got to change, man. And even and if you go back a year before, Bruce Cassidy, I don't know if coaching was necessarily the issue either. The the first year he leaves and goes to Vegas, he went to Stanley Cup. In an interview today, he said, it's always fun coming back with a big shiny ring on my finger and walking around with it. He 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 even said in the same breath he wanted to win one. He still wants to win one with the Bruins. It just at the end of the day, it's upper management making the call, not him. Folks in being town, please, please, please call Thomas Hummel. He would probably do a much better job than any of you. So uh to wrap up our little hockey talk. We'll make sure we uh, dive back in either next week or going forward because, like DJ had alluded to, the trade deadline is coming up. We're definitely going to keep an eye on what those big bad Bruins do. The Rangers, I'm hoping we make a move for a right winger to pair with Mika and Chris Kreider on the first line. The Devils, they've been quite the disappointment this year, so I'm sure we'll want to monitor, see if they do anything. So... I heard they want Frank Fleming for GM. That'd be brilliant. His first move would be to fire uh, Lindy Ruff, and he's not a fan favorite in uh, in Newark. 
But anyway, we got some hoops to talk about to to uh, end this episode, and it, it's good that Stevie's not here because I don't need to listen to his uh, nonsense for this this part. There are two superstars in particular I really want to focus on, and it's both of your it's on both of your two teams: Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum, New York Knicks with Jalen Brunson. Castle, I'm going to go to you first. Over the last several several weeks, even months. There's been the report and meme, I guess you could even call it, of uh, Becky Hammond calling Jalen Brunson a not a 1A caliber guy because he is under 6'3". And she calls basically anyone who is under 6'3", not a championship caliber player, with the exception of Steph Curry. Um, do you think it's valid out of out of pocket, how do you feel being uh, a a Nick fan? So first, I don't know if this was like false or true. Did she retract the statement? Did she, I see? So she didn't really fully retract it. She kind of she she said that she didn't try to mean it as like a disrespect because she loves watching Jalen Brunson play and she thinks he's a superstar. But he's not that championship caliber one egg guy like a Giannis or a Jokic or one of those type of players. Kevin Durant, LeBron, those are kind of in their uh, in the upper echelon of superstar tiers. Well, you know, Josh, it's it's interesting because when you do think of the big names in the league. They are bigger guys that can play both sides of the court offensively and defensively. Um, And this might be a little biased, but I don't see why he wouldn't be considered a 1A type of guy. I mean, look at what he's done without Julius Randle. Look at what he's done just as a whole for this team. I mean, the dude's a fighter. He's got some of the best mid-range game, I think you could say, in the league. I mean, when this guy posts up, when he's shooting inside, he he's, he's coming at you with a bunch of different moves. He plays hard. He knows how to conduct the court well. He seems to have good chemistry with with the whole team. Isn't that what you look for in a, in a 1A type of guy? Now, yes, I do understand the argument with his size. He is a smaller guy, so that does limit certain scenarios. Playing tougher defense, matching up with the best guy on every team. I do understand that. I do think that that does make a case for the argument. But overall, if you if you can push that aside and you look at his game this year and you tell me he's still not a 1a player then give me a guy who is a 1a player and let's actually hash it out because he he is transformed this team this year with all of the injuries that they faced i mean look at what he's done with no og no randall no mitrob he's getting guys like dante divincenzo to be a top three three-point shooter in the game right now He's getting guys like Precious Achua, who I didn't even know about to play tough. I mean, he he 
he's just getting this team to come together. And 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 even when he's not in the game, because he did have he has been out some games, I feel like his off the court leadership is just really bringing good vibes to the team. And and you know what? I, I again give me a name of a guy who is one A or you think is one A, and let's compare it. Otherwise, I don't see. Again, I do see the size argument, but overall, take that away. I don't see why you wouldn't consider this guy a one. I mean, shit, he made his first all-star game this year for a reason. I mean, e- e- even Luca. I mean, even Luca wanted the guy to to stay in Dallas. I mean, they're Dallas is missing him, and yeah, Luca's Luca is the one A guy. But imagine the two of them together, then you could really. I think in that scenario, if you have Brunson with Lucas still with the Mavericks, that's a 1A, 1B. So take him out of that equation and put him with the Knicks. Why is he not considered a 1A now? That's how I see it. No, I, I agree with you. And I do think he is um, he is a 1A. Because if you look at the other players who are, I guess you could consider a 1A, you've got Luka, you've got Joe Jokic, you've got Giannis. You've got SGA, Embiid went healthy, Kevin Durant went healthy, Devin Booker, all those, Anthony Davis, all of those, I guess you could say Wemby now, all of those guys, yes, they're all above 6'3", whatever. And a guy like Chris Paul, who historically is going to go down as one of the best point guards of all time, has never gotten that ring, has never led his team deep into the playoffs. Maybe that's where that comparison is coming from because, yes, Chris Paul has been great in the regular season before, but he's, no pun intended, comes up small in the big moments. And Jalen Brunson, yes, he was huge in the Knicks' first series against uh, Cleveland last year. But in that Miami series, he was nowhere to be seen. He, He was off. But... It is still, I think, a little bit of a too small, too small of a sample size. And this year is looking like a different year for the Knicks, so I think that'll really be the the telling tale if if that is if it is a valid point or not. Because I, a lot of people are expecting this Knicks team to go help, to go far in the playoffs. Yes, they're a little banged up right now, but the expectation of Julius Randle and OG Ananobi will be back before. Uh, uh, before the playoffs in April, they should be back sometime in March, so some time to ramp up and get healthy. Mitchell Robinson, even, uh, they're not uh, closing the door on his season. So we'll see how the Knicks continue to do in the closing part of this season. Another guy who a lot of people will consider to be a 1A, but has kind of been getting that disrespect for really no – I don't understand the reason. That would be uh, TJ's boy – Jason Tatum up in Boston. I think a lot of his hate, and I'll let you uh, debunk this after, I think a lot of his hate comes from solely performance in the finals and not, and kind of using that to ignore his great regular season, which, sure, it is valid. But 
at some point it is a little ridiculous to not really have him in a top five for MVP discussion when he is rightfully a top five player in the NBA. When you're basing his, when you're evaluating the regular season, most valuable player, you're looking at this year's regular season. You shouldn't take into account last year his finals performance. Uh, I think it's a little ridiculous at this point. He is still 25 years old, 24, 25 years old at most. So he's still relatively young too. And has accomplished a lot. Four years, I believe, of uh, conference finals. How many years has he made the finals now? Sure, he hasn't won a ring yet, but not many people could say that they're they've basically started their career just constantly having that success to make a deep playoff run. And I'm sure you'll elab- you'll clarify uh, the correct numbers for me in a second. But like what Jason Tatum is doing year in year out in the regular season is spectacular, averaging nearly 30 points a game and being a true superstar, not necessarily looking to score, has almost eight rebounds a game, five or six assists a game, getting the most out of out of Derek White every single night, getting the most out of a Peyton Pritchard, or getting the most out of Al Horford, who's 37 years old. Porzingis looks like he is the best he's been in years. It, yes, the Celtics have, if you want to call it a super team, but Jason Tatum is that superstar. So I'll let you elaborate. Yeah, like my my favorite thing, and you kind of touched on it, is people that get paid thousands of dollars to talk about sports couldn't be more wrong when talking sports. I saw it was, uh, I think it was last week, um, Brian Windhorst for ESPN said Tatum should not be in the MVP conversation this year because of his finals performance two years ago. Two years! Now, I want to help me help me understand this. You can give... If you want to do that, talk about playoff performance, why is Joel Embiid in the MVP talk every year when they can't make it out of the first or second round? Including winning an MVP. Right. Including winning an MVP in that year. How is it any different to Jason Tatum, who has the ability to put up 30, 35 points a game, but chooses not to? Because it's for the, not for the betterment of the team, but it's more so like, the Celtics right now are meshing at a level that I honestly didn't think they would be at this year. I knew that I know they were going to be good, carry some of the success from last year, but man, has it been fun to watch Celtics basketball this year? And you can look at Jason Tatum and the way he's played all season long. It's like, yeah, he could 
uh, he could obviously explode for 30, 35. Hell, even 50 points get in a given game. But he chooses not to because he's passing the ball. He's playing defense. Defense. Getting rebounds. Like Josh said, getting the most out of guys like Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, even Nemes Keta, a guy, a, a, a young guy, young center out of uh, out of the main Celtics. He's he's been coming into his own, and it's it's been so fun to watch. And I just don't understand where the disrespect comes from. He's arguably the best player on the team. It's if you can see it on the court most nights when it's not an off night for the team, you know, everyone has the off nights, but like he's putting up the numbers to be in the top three MVP talk, but he's not even going to get a look in the top five. People put him at like six, seven, eight. Who are three guys better than Jason Tatum right now to not be in the top five? And Castle, I know Jalen Brunson's up there. He's he's one of the guys that should also be with Jason Tatum and not being disrespected. And I'll let you finish. But one thing that they failed to establish year in and year out seems like it really is pick and choose the years when they want to determine your team's record it seems like it's only when it's convenient to the narrative because if they want to go by team success then jason tatum and anthony edwards should be the front runners for mvp why like but if they're going by oh well the most dominant player in the league. I agree it should be Luca. I agree Shea Gilgis is there. But Jason Tatum is right there. Joker's there. That's four. That's that should be your top. And then you could argue among those. I would say Jalen Brunson is definitely in the top ten. I want to put him at top five just yet, unless the Knicks go on a miracle run to end the season, which is possible, but I'm not putting him in a top five just yet. And I don't think Castle would either because he is not ridiculous. Um, But yeah, I'll let you uh, finish your point. Sorry to cut you off there. No, you're you're good. And and with with Brunson, I just wanted to tie it in with like, not necessarily being top five, but the level of disrespect not being talked about as a top 10 MVP candidate. It's not not any slight on your Knicks, Castle, I promise. Um but yeah, like if if they want to pick and choose what fits like narratives of that season in the NBA, like that's fine. But then make a make a new trophy that's not the MVP trophy. Have it be have it be something else. Like, oh, have it have the champion have the title be this player fit our narrative for the current season, and boom, you got it. Because, like, you look at the last handful of MVP winners, like, Joker deserved it. How many times are you going to 
like vote for the same people every year when other people have better credentials, better stats. Like make it make sense to me. I it doesn't make sense to me. I just don't understand if it's if it's the MVP most valuable player, why is it not necessarily the most valuable player? And I'll end it with that. I will say this, and and this is my interpretation of why I don't think he gets enough respect. And I'm not saying I agree with it. I think it's two things, mainly, in my opinion, at least. I think one of them does have to do, and you countered this, TJ. So again, this is just what I think the opposing side could say. Yes, he is more of a team player this year. But when he is inconsistent, he is very, very inconsistent. So I think that hurts his stock. And the other thing that I think hurts his stock, I think it's Jalen Brown. I think people look at that duo and say, yeah, Tatum is having a great season. Sure, he could be in the MVP conversation, but how but how much of the game is credited to the fact that he's playing with another elite guy to lead the team? That that that's the only thing that I'll say about that. Again, not saying I agree or disagree with it. That's what I just think is the opposing side. But overall, overall. I do think he is disrespected in that sense a little bit. And you know what? One of these seasons, if it's not this one, one of these seasons, he's just going to come into the regular season and he's going to have one of those dark seasons where he's just going to prove everyone wrong. I just think, because he also came into the league very young. What was he, 19, 20 years old? When, he'll, when, he'll be 26 in a couple of days. Right. So he still got a lot of game left in him. So I, I do think that it might not be his time. And I think those other factors that I, you know, just listed could have to do with it, but I don't think the, the door is, is shut on those chances at all. All right. And I, I agree. And then one, one last thing to kind of counter, not counter, but uh, I guess it's counter. Like people talk about his incons inconsistencies. Nobody at least that I've seen, has talked about his regular season inconsistencies. It's all strictly playoff inconsistencies. Now, if you want to talk about inconsistencies, talk about them all. Because the regular season inconsistencies can damn well impact the inconsistencies in the playoffs. Talk about them all if you're going to talk about inconsistencies. Like, don't just cherry pick, pick which ones you want to talk about. Because then at that point, you're just not giving it as a whole you're just picking apart certain aspects of a player's career you really put me in a pickle here because i really hate having to agree with anything that's boston related but you're spot on here and it's interesting because i believe jason tatum is in the last year of a contract before uh the last year of his rookie year contract before he's up for uh, an extension and an interesting facet is with is the NBA has certain incentives to 
for for uh, like a max deal and MVP and this and that. And Jason Tatum, even though, look, they're all millionaires, they're multimillionaires, whatever. We would love a chunk of that if possible. But the fact is, Jason Tatum is missing out on money because of some of these. Look, none of us feel bad. We shouldn't, but it's it, it, it's fascinating to see. And I, I pulled up the uh, details of the contract. So, he and also, shot. yeah, Jalen Brown is also the highest paid player in the league. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So Tatum right now, his contract is at one hundred sixty three million dollars. Uh, the it was one hundred ninety five million in twenty twenty, took effect in twenty twenty one twenty twenty two, and has a player option. Uh, 2025, 2026. So the next time he could look for a new contract would be 2025 at the earliest. End of season 2025. Oh, so it's not this offseason? Next offseason. So the player option is for the 2025 season? 2025, 2026 season. Got it. Okay. I thought yeah. it was for this, the next no, yeah, I wanted I wanted to pull it up too, just to just to make sure. I assumed he would have declined the player option so he could get paid more, but okay, it's the year after. Well, that buys Boston some time because they're going to be in a little bit of a salary cap pickle because Jalen Brown, who's a who's their second option, is the highest paid player in the NBA, and I'm no mathematician or GM, but I assume your better player is going to want to be paid more money than your second option, so. He's just a better, he's a better face, period. He's a more likable guy. He's more, he's got more endorsement deals going for him. He's just a better player. I, I really, maybe it's because I'm not a big fan of him pers- person-wise, but, and I know you have to pay your number two option, but Boston really threw a lot of money at Brown and, and, I truly hope that they got a plan for Tatum because if they don't, not only is and and this is I'll, I'll make a bold prediction. Not not only do I think Tatum will get a deal elsewhere, but I think, and it does come down to the team. But if he lands with a very prime team, I think you'll see his MVP season outside of Boston in that scenario. Yeah, and if you guys want some more numbers real quick before we wrap up the show. And uh, in, in the 2024 offseason, he becomes eligible for the largest contract in NBA history in terms of total value, reaching a potential $338 million over a total of five years. What offseason is that? The 25? It's coming offseason. So that, that's what I was saying. Okay. Yeah, that's we, what... we, we had him messed up a little, but yeah. Yeah, be... So he would get an off. Yeah, that makes sense. Then what I was thinking, yeah. because yeah. he wouldn't get the extension going into the year he's a free agent, because he would just right. It'd be the year, yeah, the year before. So yeah, so this offseason is gonna be a very spicy one for Boston fans because Jalen Brown currently is making over three hundred something mil, the highest paid player in the NBA, three or four million, and it's like sixty something a year. I don't know the specifics. You don't even you don't need to look it up. I know it's sixty yeah, something. I, I'm not pulling up the specifics. It's fine. Uh, it's sixty something. Um, but 
you expect Jason Tatum to get more, but I don't know how that will leave the Celtics managing other guys' contracts like Drew Holiday, like Kristaps Porzingis, like Derek White. So it'll be fascinating to see. But it's going to be spicy. DJ always says it is going to be spicy. I'll wrap up this week's episode. It was definitely a spicy one indeed. And we didn't even need it. We didn't even need Stevie B to bring the flair. Thank you, TJ. Filling in. Man of many hats. Co-host was a was definitely a good one of yours. So is uh what your work on the Instagram. Appreciate all that you do there. Uh thank you guys, the listeners, for tuning in. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you.